Welcome to the Grove Church. My name is Kent and thank you for being here today. You can find all these videos and more on our website, www.grovechurch.life, or you can check out our podcast of these sermons that are made available through Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. And I want to thank all of you who are partnering financially with the Grove as we help all people experience new life in Jesus. Now, if you're interested in giving, you can visit our website or you can give by texting the dollar amount to the number 84321. And then uh, you've got to follow all the prompts to get that set up today. Well, I want to thank you for that. Well, let's now turn back to Genesis as we continue in our series, Genesis in the Beginning. We've been tracing the story of the gospel from Genesis as it intersects with our lives today. Let's start today by discussing this question together now. Have you ever run out of an ingredient and needed to get more provisions before completing your recipe? What item were you missing? For me, and I'm sure all for all of us, it's absolutely the worst to run out of an ingredient when you're trying to cook or bake. And I'm the worst at making sure I have everything I need in order to finish whatever I'm cooking or baking. When you're about halfway through the recipe and then you suddenly realize that you're missing an important or just an ingredient, you begin to seek it all over the house trying to figure out what you can substitute in. Then when you get desperate enough, you go to your neighbors. To complete the recipe, you have to seek the provision. And as we open up our Bibles to Genesis 21, it will tell us to seek God's provision despite the circumstances around us. We're going to see this done in two ways through our text today. So let's pick up in chapter 21, where actually we left off last week's narrative. The Lord told Abraham that in, the, in a year, Sarah would have a son. Let's jump into the narrative. Look at verse 1 of chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abram called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. So the promise back in Genesis 18.10 to Sarah and Abram has come to fruition. The text reiterates how God has brought about his promise to Abraham and Sarah multiple times in the first number of verses here in chapter 21. I love how Sarah summarizes the fulfillment of the promises in verse 6. Check it out. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah is ecstatic. She couldn't be happier. What's interesting is the name Isaac means laughter. So there's a a big play on that word laughter throughout Sarah's exclamation over God's fulfillment. Now, interestingly, the promise's fulfillment comes with little fanfare. However, it is not the main point of this narrative. 
And see, Isaac's arrival has set up the following story about Hagar and her interaction with Sarah. The amount of time begins to pick up right after Isaac's birth and moves forward three years to celebrate his weaning. Now, the celebration of weaning was customary for a child moving from milk to solid food. It's at this celebration we have the conflict between Abraham's two children. And most likely, the connection of the conflict is really between Sarah and Hagar that was first brought about in chapter 16. See, in chapter 16 and 21, they are parallel in their structures, and they're begging the audience to take a closer look and at least to understand that these two conflicts are in conjunction rather than be seen as separate episodes. So let's check out verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So here Ishmael is caught laughing at Isaac. Now, two things are happening here in the text. First, we have to understand the play on Isaac's name continues with Ishmael laughing at him. A second, Ishmael's laugh was not comical. There wasn't anything funny happening. Instead, Ishmael's undermining Isaac's place as the future and only heir. Now, some commentators have suggested that what happened here was more troublesome than just jesting between children, possibly referring to some form of molestation. However, that interpretation is not preferred based off of the pure play on words laughing and Isaac's name. Sarah now responds in the following verses. Check it out. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. Now, this is no laughing matter. Why would Sarah ask for this to be done to Hagar and Ishmael, to be cast out, to be thrown out, to be exiled from the family? Is she just so jealous and petty to put them in danger of going out on their own? Now, I don't believe that was the primary motive. However, Hagar and Sarah have had their up and down in their relationship, as we saw back in chapter 16. But there is a parallel structure of these two narratives we find from 16 and 21, where there was a conflict between the two. See, both start with the birth of a child of Abraham, one to Hagar in 16 and one to Sarah here in chapter 21. Each describes this conflict between Hagar and Sarah, resulting in Sarah bringing a complaint to Abraham against Hagar. However, the significant difference between these two narratives is how chapter 21 records Abram's reaction to the new request to cast Hagar and Ishmael aside. Verse 11, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son. This son that he's speaking of is Ishmael. There's an incredible amount of significance to Sarah's request. Sarah is asking for Abraham to cast out Ishmael so that he will not inherit alongside Isaac. See, Sarah's suggestion that she made to Abraham was on legal grounds. There's actual evidence that Ishmael might have had a legal claim to part of Abraham's inheritance if he hadn't been expelled. 
The expulsion of Abraham's original heir sets up chapter 22's drama with Isaac's sacrifice, Abraham's only remaining heir. More for that next week. So Abraham here is left distraught and reluctant to go along with Sarah's desire. However, God then speaks in verse 12. What God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Here, God surprisingly affirms that Abraham is to follow Sarah's request. However, it's not a death sentence as Abraham most likely believed it was. God is going to provide for Abraham's son, even though Ishmael will be beyond his protective presence. God will be his protector and make Ishmael into a mighty nation for the sake of Abraham. Here we encounter our first way to seek God's provision despite the circumstances around us. We seek it by a leap of faith. Abraham did exactly that right here in our passage. Let's check it out. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The expulsion of his son was a considerable leap of faith for Abraham. He does what he's always done. He takes God at his word. There's seemingly no gap between the directive and Abraham's obedience. See, going the way God commands is not always easy. And I hope we don't miss the anguish Abraham experienced while he took this leap of faith. The act of following God is not always the easiest thing. Yet, we respond by faith to trust Him even in the toughest of circumstances. God tends to provide for us when we are most vulnerable and desperate. See, we are prone to think that we can do it independently, on our own. Yet this is the opposite of the gospel. God provided it for us while we were his enemies, when we were sinners. We had gone and still go our own ways. Yet God demonstrates his grace and mercy to us through the cross of Jesus. I love how Romans says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel reminds us of our need for God. The gospel speaks into our story, reminding us to seek God's provision because apart from God's mercy and grace in Jesus, we would be nothing. Be left in a desperate place. Let's discuss this question together now. Why is Christ dying for sinners, God's enemies, a clear demonstration of God's love? We pick back up in the story of Hagar as she has left Abraham and headed towards the wilderness of Beersheba. Her circumstances have gone from uncomfortable with Sarah to dire in the wilderness. Look at verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite of him, a good distance off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, 
she lifted her voice and wept. This child being spoken of here is more than likely 16 years of age. He's not exactly helpless, but still in need of his mother's help. That's to remind all our teenagers that you may feel like an adult, but you'll always be a child to your parents. Now, Ishmael's identification as a child does occur for two reasons. First, realize that his name has not been used for the entire passage because in light of Isaac's birth, his standing has been diminished. Therefore, his name's not used. Secondly, he is referred to as a child not to present him as helpless, but rather to emphasize Hagar as the main character in this scene. Hagar and Ishmael are on their own, and now the water provided to her by Abraham is gone. Hagar is desperate as she places the child under a bush. She needed intervention. She required provision. But God won't leave her weeping and alone. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God graciously intercedes for her and the child. God promises to provide for them and make Ishmael into a great nation. When the provision of Abraham has been depleted, God intervenes, promising continued provision for the two of them. When people fail us, God will never fail us. Hagar has experienced that. And here's the second way we can seek God's provision despite the circumstances around us. We seek God through his word. Hagar was lost, not knowing what to do. She was desperate and in danger. Then Hagar leaves the child under a bush because of the unbearable circumstances around her. She feared the worst, the loss of her baby. Even she was, he was 16 years old. God then graciously intervenes. How? He speaks. God's words bring comfort and life. Verse 19, we see this in the story. Just look what happens next. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God speaks and leads her to a well of water. His words bring about her provision in the worst of circumstances. I believe that can be true for us today as it was for her back then. I love how the scriptures speak of themselves as life-giving water. Just look at Psalm 1 as it explains. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the sea Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, his word. And on his law, his word, he meditates day and night. Well, what comes from this abiding provision? He is like 
a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. God's word brings life. When struggling to see a bright and better future, we need to go to God's word for hope and restoration. It's truly in the pages of the scriptures that our hearts and minds will find the peace and comfort we need. If you're struggling to see a way through this particular season of life, I encourage you to explore and pray through the scriptures, and specifically the Psalms. These poems and actually songs are full of rich praises of God that examine the the most of the human emotional spectrum, from doubt and fear to exuberant celebration. I have found peace and correction as I have sought God's provision through His Word. Let's discuss this question now. What is your favorite Bible passage or quote when things get tough? The Psalms explain that God's word is a light to our path, and we ought to seek it in any and every season of our life. Yet I would be remiss to forego speaking about Jesus, who is the very word of God. John 1.1 explains, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. See, John 1.1 is talking about Jesus. He's the word of God. Well, why is this important? Because verse 14 explains, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus came displaying the glory of God for all to see. It was not just a representation of God. He was God himself. This story of Hagar, thirsty, needing water, and the Lord interceding, reminds me of another story of a woman at a well who meets Jesus, the living water. See, this woman in John chapter 4 was not someone included in society's polite circles. And during their conversation with Jesus, he reveals all things about her, even the uncomfortable things. And she continues throughout the conversation to pepper him with questions in an attempt to move the attention off herself as, as in, in any way she can. She is desperate in need of forgiveness and healing that she can't necessarily see. And Jesus has this dialogue with her about the well they are standing near. The woman's confused about because Jesus tells her that she should ask him for a drink of water when in fact she has a pail to draw water while he's standing there with nothing to draw water out of the well with. She's dumbfounded with his response asking him who he thinks he is. And here Jesus responds in John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, Jesus is the living water. He is God's ultimate provision that ensures our standing with him. Is your story secure in Jesus? Are you submitting yourself to God through faith in Jesus? Or are you chasing after water 
that will never satisfy. See, when we put our trust in Jesus, in God's word, come in the flesh, then we have everything we need for this life, no matter what the circumstance is. Let's pursue God through dependence on Christ and his word. We can trust what God says about us more than what the world or other voices around us say. Let's turn back to Hagar's story as it concludes. Now, it's never mentioned Ishmael by name because it's ultimately pointing to God's faithfulness to Hagar. Here's this woman who's been removed from the land of her birth. She's found herself indentured to a wealthy family who then uses her to gain an heir. And now, once the wife has been able to have her own child, she's cast off like something rotten or thrown in the trash. I'm sure she felt abandoned and hopeless. Yet God graciously meets her and demonstrates his mercy toward her. The scene happens in a dramatic moment, providing for her and the boy all in the nick of time. I'm sure that Ishmael looked back at, to this event as a turning point in his life, something of God's in, in intervention for him. God provides all Ishmael needs to prosper, and he brings him in to become a nation for the sake of Abraham, his father. And God is always in control. He knows what we need before we even know it. There are many circumstances that are around us that can cause us to lose focus. However, we should seek God's provision despite the uncertainty around us because God will always provide. We need to pursue this provision through faith. Faith in God through Jesus Christ working on our behalf. And lastly, we explored seeking God through his word as we saw how he provided for Hagar. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, God meets us and can encourage us onward in our faith. I pray that God's provision of Jesus comforts and challenges you in this upcoming week and you grow in dependence on his provision in your life. I want to thank you for tuning in today and I hope to see you back next week as we continue in our series, Genesis. Genesis.